0: One of my, you know, I'll say top lines in the interview process for this new role was you've got to do what's right for coaches, athletes, and officials if you want your sport to grow. Mm -hmm. And and that's a core value that I hold very dear in terms of sport development is if you're not doing what's right for coaches, athletes, and officials, your sport will fail. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so, you know, the the things that we're doing now is yeah, I'm, you know, obviously going out and trying to get more countries to play, but we're also trying to make sure that coaches, athletes, and officials are very well taken care of in that process. Welcome to episode 19 of the
1: 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. The last two episodes were a departure from my plan. I went back and did a part two with Harry Swain and then did a Zoom part two for me With Sean Tucker I do have an in-person interview with Sean Tucker That I did Months ago before coronavirus COVID-19 and we'll See what I do with that perhaps I'll go back and see if there's You know we, we talk yeah I, I think I will release it We talked about his his Journey, his career, how he got to where He is today, lessons he learned along the way So I'll absolutely re Release that sometime in the Future as I continue to to find the balance between saying what I believe needs to be said, having the conversations that I believe need to be had and and releasing these fantastic interviews that i 've done that happened again pre covid nineteen and then pre this time where where those of us who are uh, for myself, a, a white person, um, I would say, uh, wasn't a part of the Black Lives Matter conversation prior to this month, the last few weeks, and am proud to be a part of it now. and And won't make that mistake again. We we must, as 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 we preach, you are either part of the problem or part of the solution. I am seeking more and more and more to be part of the solution. I do have three other interviews that are specifically focused on race relations in this country, specifically with black men about their experiences growing up black in America. I interview them because they're friends of mine, they're mentors of mine. They they come from all over the country. They have diverse and unique experiences. One of them is a former youth pastor. One of them is a former leadership speaker who I have met on the road, who is now doing a lot of work in real estate development and specifically creating communities of black Homeowners, So he is a fantastic, fascinating interview, and he's doing that specifically down in Louisiana. And then another is a higher education professional, a, a PhD, who is a brilliant, brilliant young man who has a, a tremendous career ahead of him in higher education and who I met through the work I do, and I've come to learn from him over the years. So please know that those are coming down the pike, and in the meantime, uh, to keep the podcast rolling on a weekly basis, I am gonna go back to some of my old pre-recorded interviews. So please know some of these interviews that are gonna be coming out this summer are gonna be pre-COVID-19, that we're not gonna talk about coronavirus at all. There will be some that are timely where we talk about coronavirus or or the impacts of it, the impacts that stay at home and social distancing, and a lot of these are gonna be in-person, Pre-recorded, uh, so that we keep the podcast rolling, keep serving you this great content, uh, keep the cups of coffee coming, and 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 get these guests that I interviewed months ago to you. So, without further ado, I am going to just launch right into the pre-recorded introduction for today's guest that I set up uh, a few weeks ago. We're just going to jump into that, and then that's going to take you right into the episode. And before I do that, it has been a while since I've asked for a rating or review. It's in the outro, but in the intro, I would like to once again ask if you have not yet, uh, please leave a rating and leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen to it. Subscribe wherever you listen to it. That kind of stuff is so helpful to us as we seek to grow this podcast and grow this message. I have become uh, uh, convicted more than ever in the power of relationships in the power of connection and the importance of sitting down with other people, asking good questions, being a listener, uh, being willing to share and be vulnerable yourself. And it is just I, I've become more convicted than ever in this message, in this medium, in this podcast, and in, in what it is we preach. And so I am looking to, to grow this as, as as much as I can during this summer. So, so if you haven't already, if you could please leave a rating and a review, it, it is tremendously helpful for folks who are just kind of scrolling through the podcast world to, to, to read these ratings and reviews. And, and let's, let's be honest, right? The more you see, the, the the more likely you are to check something out. If, if you go to a product on Amazon and it's got all five-star reviews and then you go check it out and it's only got five reviews, then then you're going to kind of maybe roll your eyes at it. But if you go to a product on Amazon, and it's got some five-stars, some four-star reviews, maybe one or two two-star reviews, uh, but it's got over 100 reviews, then then you trust it, right? You trust that not everybody's going to love it and that's okay. You trust that 99% of folks seem to give it a four or a five-star and a great review review, and that is tremendously helpful. So I ask you if you're up to it, if you're open to it, if you want to help us out, if, you, if, you, if you're loving the podcast, if you're enjoying the episodes, uh, please head on over wherever you listen and give us a rating and leave a review. I don't have any updates today. I don't have any coffee shop shout outs. I'm really just going to get right into the episode. I will say this. This is another episode that I recorded prior to COVID-19, coronavirus, social distancing, you name it. And so it was done in person. It was actually at the guest's house. And it was early on enough in my podcast journey that it it is it is completely not like the other episodes in terms of the way that it flows. What I mean by that is that perhaps you've started to notice that my kind of Go to style is similar to how I have a conversation with someone in person who I've never met before that I'm sitting down for a cup of coffee with, which is essentially number one, I want to get to know you and your journey. I, I often say, and maybe you've heard this on the podcast, no one will hear you until they know you. And so I seek to understand the guest. What has your journey been? It's not necessarily a bio, but it is saying if we're talking about your job as a coach, if we're talking about your job as a manager, if we're talking about you, you know, the mayor that we had on here. I I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more about how did you get to this position what are some of the experiences you had along the way that 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 molded you and developed you into the person you are today, who's about to share the opinions that you're about to share. I want to know where you're coming from before I hear your thoughts. Once we know where someone's coming from, we get into the conversation of culture, of leadership, of connection, of wherever the conversation goes. Typically, that's where my notes stop. I I trust myself enough that once I hear someone's story, we can start a dialogue and have a conversation. That has lent itself to my wrap-up question being, what is your 50 cups of coffee story or a 50 cups of coffee story that you can share with us? And I've come to love this question. And in this interview, it was early on enough where, number one, I know the guest uh, who who I sat down to talk with. And so I didn't ask him to share his story because we just immediately got into conversation. Number two, I had not thought of this 50 cups of coffee question yet. So I didn't ask it for this guest. So I apologize if I, I know I've heard from some folks that that is actually your favorite part of the podcast is hearing that story. And I apologize, that is not a part of this episode. I'll have to reach out to this individual and see if we can get him to to just share it for us and I can post it up on social media. So with that being said and noted, I have no updates. I'm just going to get right into my, my introduction of the guest and let's get right into the interview. My guest today is TJ Buchanan. TJ is the Director of Sport Development for World Lacrosse, formerly known as the Federation for International Lacrosse. Because World Lacrosse is the international federation for men's and women's lacrosse and is responsible for providing effective leadership and governance of the sport internationally while supporting the continued growth of lacrosse worldwide. According to their website, they have 62 member national governing bodies, and they hold five world championships for the sport. In November 2018, World Lacrosse was honored to earn provisional recognition from the International Olympic Committee. A critical step in the continued growth of the sport around the globe and as I understand it as and as we get into in this interview, the first step or one of the pivotal steps towards getting lacrosse into the Olympic Games. Prior to his current position at World Lacrosse, TJ served as the Technical Director for Athlete Development at U.S. Lacrosse, the national governing body of the sport here in the United States. TJ's work with U.S. Lacrosse has impacted more than 250,000 youth players and 40,000 coaches. In 2008, he was appointed as one of 25 national coach development trainers for the National Governing Body. TJ has conducted over 100 coach development clinics to provide coaches with the training and resources necessary to support athletes in reaching their full potential. I first met TJ when he was in this position at U.S. Lacrosse and was blown away by his knowledge, not only of the sport, but also of athlete development, coach development, and coaching and teaching youth the right way, which we also get into in this interview outside of his professional career, TJ has coached all levels of lacrosse, ranging from 6U Pockets program through the 2015 and 2016 NCAA National Semifinalist men's team at Gettysburg College. TJ serves as a mentor in the International Coaching Enrichment Certificate program, which is managed by the International Olympic Committee's Olympic Solidarity, as well as provides consulting services to several other sports in the areas of athlete and coach development. In this interview, as I've already shared, we get into how you grow an international sport and get it into the Olympics. So whether you're a lacrosse fan, if you're a lacrosse fan, I can tell you right now, this is a fascinating episode. If you're not a lacrosse fan, I think it's a fascinating episode in learning about a growing and developing sport, and especially one that is is looking to get into the Olympics and making great strides in order to do so. On top of that, we talk about youth athlete development, long-term athlete development, which I've talked about quite a bit on this podcast before, and I talk about it on the podcast, quite frankly, because I was introduced to the concept by TJ, which we talk about here. And I will note, I was introduced to TJ via his social media presence. We talk about that on the episode. And just with the theme of 50 cups of coffee, I think it's a really cool story to share that I was introduced to TJ via social media. And we talk about that on this episode. And I want to share the context of that because I think that in and of itself is a great 50 cups of coffee story. One of my mentors, who was the guest just two episodes ago, is Coach Matt Nine from Salisbury University, and when I met up with Matt Nine a few years back to say, I'm really professionally making a pivot, not a pivot, because I'd been working with athletic teams and athletes, but it wasn't my main audience, it wasn't my main work that I was doing. I'd worked with a lot of different groups and decided I really want to serve athletics, I just really zoned in on that, zeroed in on that. And so I met with Matt because he's, as you've heard, if you listen to his episode, one of the best in the business and and a, a great mentor to me. And so I sat down to have a cup of coffee with him. After that cup of coffee, Matt allowed me to join or invited me to join a Facebook page of individuals focused on growing the game of lacrosse, but not growing in terms of participation numbers, but in terms of developing how we coach and how we teach young athletes. And he thought not only would I learn from this group, but I could offer some value in terms of what I know about team development, player development, and connection. Well, one of the most active individuals on this Facebook page who I thought shared the best knowledge and was just profoundly smart about what they were talking about was TJ Buchanan. And so I clicked on him uh, on his, you know, his, his profile and sent him a message and said, you know, I really enjoy this point A, B and C that you've made over the past few weeks. I, I have this, these questions about it and I'd like to know more about what you do. Can we grab a cup of coffee? TJ responded right away and said, Why don't you come on up to U.S. Lacrosse headquarters at my office? We'll sit down and chat. So, number one, as a lacrosse fan, I was excited just to go up to U.S. Lacrosse headquarters and and sit down and chat with TJ. So, I make the trip up, we chat, you know, we walk around the the grounds a little bit. He gave me a little bit of a tour of the area, the locker rooms, the fields, the strength, and, and, you know, the the strength room that they have there. Just a phenomenal facility. And then we sit down and talk. And as we're talking, TJ was so focused on not only what can I do for you, meaning him, how could he serve me, but then how could I serve U.S. lacrosse and the work they were doing? And that conversation immediately led to me speaking at LaxCon. I think we had this conversation maybe in November, and LaxCon was in January, which is the lacrosse convention, and, and that year it was in Philadelphia. And so from my coffee with TJ... He invites me to speak at LaxCon. U.S. Lacrosse puts me up in a hotel room. I get to you know, go to the convention, which I've always wanted to do, and speak to the long-term athlete development cohort about team and player development, which was just awesome, a thrill. And from that, I developed connections that have been on this podcast that, that have led me to opportunities in sport and team and, and you name it, all just from reaching out to TJ and saying, let's grab a cup of coffee. On top of that, TJ and I grabbed lunch after the podcast interview that you're about to listen in on and during lunch just sharing ideas about player development tj said to me have you ever connected with this guy dan that i know you should really connect with dan he's down in the dc area coaches at a middle school program down there as well i think you guys would hit it off so I te- TJ connects us via text. I text Dan. Dan says we actually practice with his club team. We practice every Saturday at this facility in Columbia, which is literally the town I live in. And so that Saturday, I drive out just to watch Dan's practice and see how he's operating because he is implementing what TJ is preaching and was preaching specifically at U.S. Lacrosse. And so I went to just watch him. And I had a lot of people who asked me, like, why are you taking time on your Saturday to go watch a youth lacrosse practice. And I said, I'm just fascinated by how they're operating, what they're doing. I trust TJ and I I just love to see how he does this. Well, Dan and I talk after his practice and, and immediately afterward, he said to me, he goes, would you be interested in coaching? And I thought, absolutely that'd be fantastic and so within the week i am i am a coach with this mdx club lacrosse program that dan is a part of and and a a lot of people say to me how did that come about and and my consistent answer is 50 cups of coffee I I asked T.J. to do the podcast because I think he's brilliant and wanted his insight. We grabbed lunch afterward because we enjoy talking with each other and wanted an off-mic conversation. And uh, uh, T.J. said, you got to connect with Dan just because why not? We have similar ideas. We could probably learn from each other, bounce ideas off each other, connect each other to other people. So I connect with Dan. I go shadow his practice, which leads to coaching. And I share this because for me, my relationship with T.J., is a perfect example of the power of 50 cups of coffee. You don't always know where the relationship or the connection is going to lead, and you only find out by doing it, by connecting, by reaching out, by, by adding value on someone's social media conversation, by challenging their social media conversation, by then reaching out and saying, you know what, we have enough, make nothing in common, or I have enough questions for you, that let's hop on the phone, nowadays let's hop on a Zoom, or or let's meet up in person, have a cup of coffee, and connect. And so I wanted to share all of that because my relationship with TJ is, I believe, a perfect example of what I'm hoping to, to get across here with this podcast, with my TEDx talk, and with a lot of the work that I do, that connection matters, and it is as simple as engaging with people, being curious, being intentional about your questions, and following up. TJ is one of the best I've ever encountered at that, and I have benefited from being connected with him. I'm excited to share this interview with you. I think it's a fascinating conversation with a really interesting guy, again, growing a sport at, at the grassroots level to say, let's get it into more countries. Let's get sticks in more hands of kids. Let's let's help kids get great at this sport. Let's help kids love the sport. And for TJ's goal, let's get this game into the Olympics. If you're a coach, if you're anyone that works with kids, or if you're just a fan of sport and and are curious to hear how this all works and develops, I know you're going to enjoy this podcast. I certainly enjoyed sitting down and chatting with TJ. So this intro was a little off script for me just because I simply wanted to share my, my story of 50 Cups of Coffee with TJ. And as I said, this interview is a little different because I did it so early in my journey of starting this podcast. With all that being said, please enjoy my cup of coffee with tj buchanan
0: um i guess it was uh, about six months or so ago i was hired as the director of sport development for world lacrosse um, which was formerly known as the federation of international lacrosse and what we are as an organization is the international governing body so think uh you know, like FIFA for soccer, or um, you know FIS for uh, for skiing, things like that. You know, that's that's where we're at with in terms of you know governing the sport on a global global scale. Um, in my specific role, really, what my job is is to number one support the existing sixty five uh, member nations uh, in terms of whether that's coach development, athlete development, officials development, governance, and really just becoming. You know, really smooth functioning um, national governing bodies, and that's sixty-five
1: nations, countries that play
0: lacrosse. Yes, that's the number. Sixty-five countries that currently are playing lacrosse um, and are members of World Lacrosse. There's probably a couple out there. um, You know, I saw a thing online the other day that there's like a box of sticks in Nepal. Um, They're not officially a member, but we know there are some sticks in Nepal. Yeah. Um, You know, so um, so supporting those sixty-five, and then also. You know, looking to add new countries, Um, you know, there's 200 and some odd countries in the world, and we're just scratching the surface at 65. Um, So we really, in the next two to three years, want to be at a minimum of 100 countries. How do you do that? I know that's a big question, (laughs) but how do you
1: add a, a new country to a sport that maybe they've never heard of?
0: So some of it's a little bit passive, Um, You know, I'll use, uh, you know, the Dominican Republic as an example. I'm working with some folks who are trying to get it started there. And they came to us. They were inspired by seeing what some of the other Caribbean nations were doing in terms of like Jamaica, Puerto Rico. And they said, hey, why not us? Um, And they may have some people domestically who are helping to drive those efforts. um, But ultimately, you know, they came to us. Um, Then there's the opposite approaches. You know, we, we go out and I spend some time really searching the Internet. And trying to find out what's going on in the lacrosse world, literally in in the world. Um, so I, you know, I just start looking around on Facebook and the good old Google machine, and you know, find what's out there, and specifically in countries where we don't already have you know an established national governing body or presence for the sport. Um, you know, so as an example, um, you know, I'm working with some folks in Nicaragua and Panama right now. Um, you know, started digging around and found an organization called the Cross the Nations, um, who, you know, they go in and they more of the humanitarian and, and social aspect of using sport for the betterment of lives. Um, so they go in and they started in the schools, physical education classes, things like that. And now they're at a point in Nicaragua where they have, you know, I don't know, 100, 150 kids who are playing, but they've been doing it long enough that they're starting to look for that, that performance side of it now. That these these athletes they want to they want more. It's not just about having some fun in PE. Class. They want to get better. They want to get this. better, okay. and they want to start competing on a world stage. Um, and so, working with them now with lacrosse the nations and some folks in Nicaragua to you know get that national governing body up and running so that they can start fielding national teams and competing at the next level. Um, you know, beyond just ha- having some fun in PE class,
1: right? Well and talk about so you're presenting at laxcon about the new rules uh, proposed rules and I know you were at the u s lacrosse headquarters when they ran the exhibition, running with those um what are what are the proposed rules for 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 the international game and and uh, I guess start there what are they
0: yeah so a couple of things one is you know just to make sure that you know we clarified i guess is the traditional 10v10, you know, men's game and 11v11 women's game disciplines are not going away. Um, this is not in any way that's good clarity
1: because I think a lot yeah. of people were when I, it, it, you, the first article I read about it, you know, the first two paragraphs, I'm incensed at this thing, and then you get to the third paragraph <laughs> and sure. it says the the college game, the pro game in this is not changing.
0: Uh, it's just as proposals for, and that's you know, I. I calm down a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, and, and even in international play, the the full field, full squad disciplines are not going away. Yeah, for this like is, the World Games, is that what yeah, you mean? Yeah, yeah. for yeah. World Games, you know, um, you know, the, for the women's side, the World Cup, all that stuff is still going to be happening, still going on. Mm-hmm. This is a new discipline, um, you know, that is is being proposed um, in you know for a variety of reasons. One that has been pointed to, you know, numerous times is obviously Olympic inclusion, that is a goal of our organization. And it has been, um, you know, for for some time, this is not a new thing, it's probably 10 or so years since, you know, our general assembly of 60 some odd nations said, yes, we want our sport to be in the Olympics. And they voted on it and it became part of, you know, the mission and vision for world lacrosse. Mm -hmm. Um, So in order for that to happen, we do know that one of the things, you know, that would be favorable to our sport is a reduced roster size, An Olympic villages only permitted so many athletes. And you know, you yeah, start that's talk- an because that the, the that's an Olympic thing in reality, right? Like in terms yeah. of t- new
1: team sports joining the Olympics, that is that is a a barrier from
0: their end, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There there is a capacity on the number of athletes that can be in an Olympic village, mm-hmm. um, and if we start talking about taking. Eight or 10 teams per gender game with 20 plus to 30 athlete rosters, right? It gets really large very quickly when we're talking about that scale. Um, So we we do know that that's one of the things that'll be important. But probably more importantly is what this new discipline will allow us to do is, I would say, close that competitive gap. Um, You know, if you look at international lacrosse, the top, you know, four, maybe five teams are, you know, relatively interchangeable one through three, pretty well set, but four and five, you know, they kind of are in the mix there with the third spot, but then there's a, a pretty big, I'll say competitive drop-off between the fifth team and the rest of the field. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with roster depth. And when we start looking at this discipline and, you know, creating a smaller roster, right. If it's 10 of my best against 10 of your best, that that gap gets a little bit closer together, actually quite a bit closer together. Um, so, you know, we, we really think it's going to help with that. Um, additionally, you know, it's a challenge for a new country to start lacrosse and to field enough players to, to put together a 25, 26, you know, whatever player roster, 23-player roster can be a challenge mm-hmm. when we're talking about international competition for a country. Um, so if they only have to put together, let's call it a 12-player roster, um, you know to participate in the sixes discipline um, that's being developed that makes it a lot easier for a country to, to be represented in international play um, so it's right because it, it's six on six is that what the six on six five, six five five what i would call runners and then one goalkeeper okay
1: so there is there's no offsides as we traditionally understand
0: in the men's game and in the women's game as well is it So there's, there's been a whole bunch of trials. Yeah. Um, You know, you alluded to the, the trials that were just held back in October. I really wanted to see it, but we just, we, I was there for the,
1: I think the first U.S.-Canada game on, on the full regular field, but we couldn't make it back for that Sunday game.
0: Yeah. So there's, there's been a bunch of trials and they, they are experimenting with, you know, keeping a, keeping one back, you know, a defender and an attacker, you know, keeping somebody back. They're experimenting with letting everybody run. Um, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things that, you know, it's out there, it's being trialed, we're gathering feedback.
1: How did the player, I mean, obviously you can't speak for all the players, but I don't know if you got any uh, feedback initially, how did they enjoy it, appreciate it, what were their feelings on it?
0: I mean, you know, anecdotally, you know, I was, I was sitting on the sidelines and, you know, the one common theme was like, man, this is fast. Yeah. Like, this is really fast. Um, which I think is good. Um, you know, especially for. You know the casual fan, mm-hmm. um, who maybe doesn't understand the the intricacies of the game, right? Well, it's
1: the uh, reason I, I'm speaking for my myself, my own opinion, but it's the reason the PLL what they shortened it 10, 10 yards on either side to essentially eliminate the middle of the field clearing, and and certainly you have long poles <laughs> taking shots every other yeah. <laughs> every other time down,
0: but it certainly has speeded the game up. Yeah, yeah. It, the, the the pace of play is is a lot faster, um, and you know. I think you see um, just in, an increased emphasis on um, what would I call it? maybe shot selection. Um, you know, they're not just, not just chucking the ball for the sake of chucking the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, because one of the rules that is currently in trial is that if the ball goes out of bounds on the end line, it's a turnover. So in our traditional game, right, closest where and when it goes out gets possession of the ball. In this new discipline, it goes out on the end line even so, on it's a, a shot. Yep. Even turnover. Just straight turnover. So, yeah. so think like basketball, right? You, yeah. sh- you shoot an air ball and it goes out. They're not. They don't give it back to you, right? Right. It's nope. Turnover. Here we go. So, how how close way. are is the new is that are these rules to box lacrosse? Very similar. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if I was going to describe it to somebody who had never seen it, or I would say it's, it's very much like box without the boards. Mm-hmm. Um, very similar. That's what the field looked like
1: yeah. when I looked at the regulations. Now
0: the, the, the contact, you know, is significantly less um, than what you would see in a box game. You know, you don't see quite as much of the, of the pushing and shoving and, you know, the on and off ball picks. Um, you know, I think that will be an evolution of the game as coaches really start to get into it and strategize more. Um, about how are we going to coach this version or this discipline, I think we'll see some of that start to emerge. Yeah. So here's
1: the, the biggest question I have with this is, and, and I, I know you're not speaking for, for another month or so at LaxCon, so you've got time to formulate your your opinion <laughs> and message, but just off yeah, the yeah. cuff, um, to someone who said, you know, speaking more broad in terms of the growth of any sport, if someone says to you, why are we doing this? Why? Or do you want to be in the Olympics if it's going to require a new rules to the game? What's the what's the value of sport development of growing a sport? Why is it because I I have there are some purists that I know of that have that opinion of they don't inherently understand why you would want to grow a sport, why you want it in the Olympics, and they have a little bit of they have frustration even with the p l l saying <laughs> uh, and they they had frustrations with the m l l years ago when they added yeah. a two point line uh they just don't want to see change and they don't understand the answer of well, it's good for growth and more fans and whatever
0: so what is your answer to that why what's the value of all this so the you know first and foremost, you know we are very humbled just just at the opportunity to even be you know thought about in the same breath as the, the Olympic rings, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's, it's quite a monumental thing for your sport to be there. And we're humbled for the recognition we currently have. And, you know, and we, we know that we have a lot of work to do um, before we get there and, and that we don't deserve it, but we have to earn, earn that right um, to, to have those rings attached to our sport. So, but what ultimately what that brings is the, the Olympic rings bring what I would call, you know, instant legitimacy to your sport right? You know, I th- I think about my daughter, I have a 10 year old daughter, and she doesn't know anything about figure skating or gymnastics, right? But once every four years, she is just enthralled by watching figure skating. And she's sliding around our hardwood floors on her socks, imitating those athletes, right? Being inspired, if you will, to, to think about and consider participating in figure skating. Or, you know, likewise, when it's uh, the summer games, right? She sees that. And all of a sudden, she's tumbling around on our carpet, like, the, it's inspirational to her, right? And that's the power of the Olympic movement is it inspires participation in sport. So, you know, if if we are fortunate enough to to earn the right to to have those rings attached to us, you know, and be on the program, um, you know, think about the future generations of athletes who are going to see our game on television. And it might be the sixes discipline that they see, but it's going to go, wow, you know, I could do that. That looks really fun. I I'd, I'd like to participate in that. Right? So we have that that piece in terms of how that's going to inspire growth. But then also, you know, it opens up doors to a lot of other things. You know, here in the United States, we have the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, the USOPC, right? And they're kind of the governing body of all of the Olympic sports for the United States. So once, you know, your sport gains that recognition, you you can become a member of your National Olympic Committee, which opens up or unlocks a host of new resources, whether that's mental skills training, performance things, um, you know, training centers, uh, you know, obviously there's some funding attached to that, resources for high performance planning so that you really are able to maximize the, the performance of your athletes. Um, as well as, you know, a lot of that trickles into the grassroots because organizations and national Olympic committees aren't necessarily focused just on the high performance end, they also understand that you need a grassroots side to be able to to build a foundation for that high performance, right? You can't put athletes on the podium if you don't have kids playing on the playground mm-hmm, in your sport. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they they understand that and they, they do a lot of support, whether it's coaching, education, athlete development, to help build that foundation. So one day we, your country, does have athletes on the podium in your sport.
1: Yeah. Well, and one of the things that um, I, again, because I was uh, originally... A, I don't want to say a cynic originally what against again the first first time you see it there's when when you grow up with a sport there's pushback. but then um uh, there was an article I read that compared it to beach volleyball and how that is not the same and yes, there is volleyball in the Olympics, but beach volleyball um, is just a great example of a new iteration, new version of the sport that is that that is gained now as professionalized is is legit there's now college beach volleyball it's it's kind of grown as a different version lacrosse has seen that with box lacrosse and field lacrosse is certainly you know obviously there's nothing inherently wrong about adapting a sport to make it more accessible to more people um you talked a lot about you talked about this earlier too you've got these countries that are are taking on the sport and then they get to a point of Wanting to get good at the sport, so it's beyond just playing around with some sticks and throwing the ball. Now it becomes how do we compete? How do we get better? How much of your former life plays into your current world in terms of teaching how to
0: teach the game? How to, how to get better at the game over the long term? Um, Hundred yeah. percent. I mean, that's you know, I, I talked about you know supporting the existing sixty-five you know member nations. And that's a big part of it is, you know, developing tools and resources to strengthen their coaching capabilities. Um, a lot of countries, you know, are, are not using homegrown coaches at this point. They, they are importing, if you will, you know, North Americans in to help them. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, a fantastic strategy, you know, as you're trying to, to bolster your capabilities um, in coaching. Um, but, you know, one of the things we're really trying to do is, is help them to develop their homegrown coaches uh, because, you know, we know coaching makes all the difference in the world for your sport, right? A, a North American who comes in, let's say every, you know, four or five, six months, puts on a training camp for, you know, a weekend or maybe a week. That's amazing. It's great. And it's super helpful to that country. But what happens when they leave? What's left behind, mm-hmm. right? What we want to do is provide the tools and the resources for them, for the, for our member countries, to supplement you know what they're already doing so that the coaching can continue once once the people that they're bringing in to help them leave mm-hmm. um, and and really increase you know their athletes abilities and their their coaches capabilities yeah um, you know on the, on the athlete development side right you know the, the motto has always been with me personally players first right if you do what's right for the athlete, then everything else is easy. It, it's kind of your why, right? The, the Simon Cynics start with why. Mm-hmm. Why athletes first. So if we if we put that focus there, um, you know what is right for the athlete in terms of you know training and- so what
1: talk about that what is right for the athlete because I think that is that has come up a lot in in my conversations and I've been kind of itching to get to this conversation yeah. because I think uh, I'm not inflating your ego I think you are one of the the smartest and sharpest people in this conversation of what is right for the athlete and you're unabashed about your opinion of what is right for the athlete so so what
0: is it what is right for the athlete? Um, well, well, first and foremost, Jerry, you, you have to know who your athlete is. It's not a one-size-fits-all model. You know, even in a team sport, you're coaching a team of individuals. And, you know, when we start working with coaches, we need coaches to understand that, um, that everybody's going to have some unique needs in in terms of what they want from development. And then what we really have to look at is, okay, you know, physical capabilities, right? And I'm just speaking purely like what is – what are their limitations physically and how do we improve them? Um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, player development. There's the technical, the tactical, the physical, the psychosocial. So, right, we got to look at physically what can an athlete do and how can we improve their capabilities there? Um, you know, the psychosocial piece, right? Where, where is an athlete's brain? Not just in terms of like, you know, how they view themselves or their self-esteem or their, you know, mental state but also developmentally, what are they capable of processing? Um, You know, children are certainly different than teenagers and are certainly different than a fully matured adult. Um, And what's interesting in, in this role is, you know, with world lacrosse, is when we talk about, you know, athlete development, some of our brand new athletes in any given country, right, they would be what I would consider a discovered level athlete. So their technical, tactical, and physical skills are, you know, relatively similar to a brand new or, a, or a, a child you know they might be a little bit more physically capable because they're adults but their their game sense right their cognitive processing of the game is not much different than a 10 year old or, or a 12 year old so right and how old how old, you're saying at any age the individual how old is the athlete you're talking about uh, it could be an adult athlete okay know, 14 16 18 years old right right they're but the they're cognitive thinking about because the game. they're not
1: Are these individuals who have played other sports and lacrosse is new to them? Or do you encounter individuals who maybe have never, never, never encountered organized sports?
0: Uh, I'd say probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, some of it is they've never participated in a team sport before. It's just culturally, it's not a thing where they are, where they, Mm -hmm. where they live. And, you know, for some reason, lacrosse gets started. And now there's, now there's a little bit of a culture starting around team sport in that Mm -hmm. country. Um, and some of it is just access to sport, right? You know, we, we go into different countries in Africa where access to sport is, you know, not really a thing. Um, you know, access to clean water and food and shelter is probably more more important than access to sport, right? Mm-hmm. So when we start introducing sport, right, that adult athlete who is coming, you know, and their knowledge of sport, their sport IQ, if you will, is completely, you know, different than let's say an American Mm -hmm. um, who is immersed in it on TV, you know, PE classes has played, you know, 10 or 12 different sports just because of PE and playground stuff, you know, completely different there. So what is your approach to help that athlete understand team
1: sports, understand sports in general when, like you said, maybe they've never
0: encountered it at all? So it it really comes back to the idea of small-sided games. Yeah. Um, You know, they can understand, you know, some of the individual, the technical stuff, right? Because it's all about me and it makes it real easy. But if we want to start teaching them, you know, how to work together in a team environment, start small. It's super cool that that is your answer because I wanted to get to that. (laughs) And that is awesome that that's your answer. So I think we know each other a little too well. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's all just small-sided games is my only note. Um, so, okay, so how does small-sided games help that individual? And that's a really cool place to start. You're talking, do you have a specific example? I mean, you said you logged 21,000 miles in September alone. Yeah. You're in all these different countries around the world that not only have never seen lacrosse, they maybe have never played a, a team sport. And so you're introducing them. You know, when you and I have talked about small-sided games in the past. I mentioned that when I ran uh, using l t a d with my middle school across team it it was chaotic like the word is chaos that's the appropriate word and 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 that's with kids who not only play multiple team sports. The kids I'm working with play multiple team sports and they play lacrosse. This isn't just some other thing for them. Like they're on club teams, they're on stuff. And I have I see chaos in implementing it. So is it is it times 10 with someone who's never seen it before or, or is it not? Is it a different experience because they don't have any preconceived notion of what a practice should look like?
0: Yeah, I would say it's probably um, a little bit of both, right? A, a lot of the areas that we go to, they... They do know some lacrosse, right? You know, and I'll say Europe as an example. I was just in Belgium back in September. And, you know, and they know lacrosse. I saw the waffle you posted. Yeah, uh, it, was, <laughs> it was fantastic. Yeah. IHOP has nothing on a real Belgian waffle. <laughs> you said uh, it here. Okay, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> um, but, you know, so they, they do know lacrosse. Um, but they, you know, I'd say it, it's more of the traditional style of thinking about lacrosse. Um, You know, it's interesting, I got into a little bit of a heated social media discussion a couple weeks ago with some folks in Europe, um, actually a couple days ago, you know, regarding the the value of wall ball versus small sided games for technical skill development. Um, You know, anybody who knows me knows, you know, I was totally on the small sided games, you know, side of it and saying that's, you know, that's the way to do it. And they were arguing that that wall ball is the absolute best way to develop technical skill. Okay. Um, and neither of us just, are right. When they mean wall right. ball,
1: they just literally uh, just a player smacking a ball against the wall. Yeah. Just doing... a player
0: throwing the ball off the
1: wall and catching yeah. it. You know, using Why is the that different... in contrast to small setting? They were just
0: arguing which is more effective
1: for yeah, development. Yeah. If,
0: yeah. Basically, which is more effective. And, you know, my, my argument was, you know, it's, it's about learning skill in context. Okay. Right. You know, e- e- think about that like math, right? If four times four is 16 and that's all you ever knew is four times four is 16 but you didn't ever use it or learn it in a context of i have 4 friends and i'm going to give them each a dollar so you know how many dollars do i need to have to give mm-hmm. each of my friends a dollar right or i'm going to give them each 4 dollars right so right now i've put a context to it and the the learning is real cuz you're yeah. arguing the, the
1: small-sided game as the teacher, as the tool for teaching, as not tool, just as yeah. something to end practice with so kids have fun. It is we are going to learn via a small-sided game instead of line drills, instead of just sitting on the wall for an hour, instead of uh, just practicing one skill Repetitively, over and over and over and over again. Yeah,
0: hundred percent. Okay. Yep, hundred percent. That's that's where I'm at with it. Yeah. Um, And it it doesn't mean I'm right and they're wrong, or they're right and I'm wrong. It's just a difference of opinion. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If this if this interview gets gets any harsh critiques, it's gonna be that I don't (laughs) challenge you at all because I agree with you when it comes to that side of things. I've seen it work. I've seen it play out. We just, I just, I mentioned, uh, we ran a clinic in Delaware with a good friend of mine who runs Icon Lacrosse Academy. And uh, he, he was a, a guest on the podcast. So this is going to be a reoccurring theme for me. I'll find so maybe you can give me a guest who's going to fight with me that we can have. Uh, that would be a good conversation. But he, we ran that clinic. Uh, it was, I I had fourth and fifth graders and he ran and a couple other coaches. They had some coaches from Salisbury because we were out in Delaware and uh, who were running the older kids and they were doing some more uh, like, technical teaching and and that's what the kids came for was teaching but he gave me full kind of uh, control over the fourth and fifth graders and he knows my beliefs and how I operate that's why he invited me to be a part of this clinic and so clinic was 10 a.m to 3 and from the kids viewpoint we just played All day, and I was doing some things differently, or coming up with some different rules of you've got to make three passes, or you've got to take four steps, or you've got to. uh, We flipped the goal at one point and took the goalie out so that that's not a factor, you know. But you can't, you know. I I had my own discretion of if you're just firing it from twenty yards out, I'm going to call the goal back, and the kids would get all mad the few times I did that, and I was like, hey, you can't control the refs and just move down with it. (laughs) And and he came down at one point and he goes, I'm not questioning you, I just want to know like what what is happening, and I explained it and in the end of the day we got texts and emails from parents saying I don't know what you guys did but my kid had more fun playing the sport which is great than they've ever had but then the seconds I know they walked away learning some stuff that they would not have learned if we just stuck to the strict technical so so I I agree with you on that side of things Um, and so now you're in a position where you're 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 getting you're trying to get folks to understand that even abroad it sounds like and how is yeah. the conversation different than it is here, in so, terms of that?
0: So you know, a, a lot of the lacrosse knowledge, I'll say, that's you know, outside of the United States, is you know, it comes from you know North America. I should mm-hmm. say, I shouldn't limit myself to the United States. It comes from North America, right? That's this is where the game was primarily originally. Canada and the United States, Canada say, and or? the U.S. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so, you know, a lot of the what I would call traditional methodologies are are what's you know floating around globally. And, you know, and they've worked right. We, we know they've worked. They've traditional methodologies have produced some of the, the world's greatest players. Um, you know, and I would never argue that they're bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just argue that, you know, to think broader and to think differently. And so that's where the challenge comes in is, well, this is, you know, what I saw on YouTube by lacrosse superstar insert name here. Yeah. And they said, this is how you learn to catch and throw. And you can, right? You absolutely can. It's not my preferred method for doing it, mm-hmm. but you know it's going to work, right? You can melt butter with a match. You can melt butter with a microwave, or you can melt it on a pan over the stove, right? It's butter's all, still going to melt. The butter's it's still no going to melt, what, right? Yeah. Just which one do you want to do, right? Um, you know, what are you happy with? So, you know, so there's a little bit of a pushback on that, um, but then also, you know, and this is something I think we've been in in the United States, you know, specifically, kind of insulated to is. Our kids have tremendous access to to sport, um, and and not even just in the lacrosse context, but sport in general. Um, you know, so it is it is hard for you know three or four kids to get together in you know whatever country and be able to just go out back and play lacrosse, right? Maybe the spaces don't exist where they live because you know a lot of European cities are are pretty pretty tight, and there's not a lot of open green space um, where they could go play. Um, which, you know, I would challenge and say, we'll get a trash can and go play out in the street when Mm -hmm. a car comes get out of the way. But, you know, that's, but access can be a problem. Um, Also, you know, there's not a whole lot of people playing. Um, You know, in my neighborhood here alone in Hanover, Pennsylvania, when I walk my dog, I can find at least five lacrosse goals. Mm -hmm. And Hanover, Pennsylvania is not a lacrosse hotbed by any means. You know, we're 40 miles or so north of Baltimore, you know, 40 miles south of Harrisburg and about 180 miles west of, you know, Philadelphia. So we're not in a, you know, in a a Mecca of, of lacrosse here, but I can walk around my neighborhood and find five lacrosse schools. Mm -hmm. So there's access for the kids, even in in just this little community that I live in, that they can get together and go play. In the the the
1: United States, it's definitely, I have been uh, traveling the country now for nine years, speaking and training uh, on leadership development, team culture, you name it. And I, as you know, I, i When I spoke at laxcon i wasn 't pandering to the audience. I share lacrosse stories in my in my speeches because that is uh that that 's my frame of reference that was my sport that 's what i do and Eight years ago, I was in Illinois as an example, speaking to eighty people It was an audience of eighty people, and I started telling a lacrosse story and I could see their faces kind of. Glaze over, look confused for the but, and so, and I was probably I think two hours from Chicago, so I'm not in a big city, and, and I said, "Have you guys ever heard of lacrosse?" And they all shake their heads, no. And I go, "You've never even heard the word? Like this doesn't ring a bell to you at all? Like it's not like have you ever seen it?" And not one person had ever even heard of it my experience prior to that had been some people might be oh it's the thing with sticks right or you know it's i've seen it played on the beach or or whatever it might be but these folks had never even heard of it and and i encountered that quite a bit eight eight or nine years ago i don't anymore i will be in uh, a town in the middle of louisiana in the middle of oklahoma in the middle of illinois that i go back to that same place every single year and now if I were to ask all eighty all eighty know of the sport. So it's certainly like you said, even if you're in Hanover, Pennsylvania, uh there's 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 five goals here. Maybe there's one in in, in yeah. Dixon, Illinois, where I was, but uh it's it's growing more than a, a, a town in Europe that it's not
0: where do, do they have access to equipment in a place like that? Where they, would they even buy a stick? Uh, I mean, they do, there are, you know, there are equipment, I'll say distributors, yeah. you know, throughout Europe. Has the internet changed things. the game a little bit? I mean, you I, can hop on. I think so. The, um, and get something the logistics new. of shipping get a little bit challenging, sure. um, you know, but you know, they, they do have decent access to equipment. Obviously the price is substantially more than, than what we might have in the United States. Um, but they do have some access there. um, but, you know, the other thing that is that is interesting too is a lot of European sport is based off of a sport club model. Uh, you know, you think like in the States, you know, I might go to the country club to play tennis and golf. Mm-hmm. Um, in in Europe, they might go to the sport club to play, you know, I, I've been indoctrinated into the European culture, so I say football instead of soccer now. So they yeah. might go to the sports club to play football, to play field hockey for their lac- lacrosse participation, for tennis. Yeah, you know, for, for can you rugby. specifically
1: walk us through that? Because I think maybe you did it, or or someone else did it for me at one point. Kind of walking through, I think it was, I think it was during one of those kind of athlete development model meetings where you took us through what it looks like if you join a club in Germany yeah. and and what that means for an
0: athlete. Yeah, so so the families or or the kids or the athletes are are members of one of these sports clubs, and they really you know they might have to drive you know twenty miles to get to their local. "Quote unquote local sport club um, to participate in sport, right? But when they get there, now they have the opportunity, kind of like we do at a at a YMCA, if you will, to participate in a variety of different sports, which is you know a fantastic opportunity for them. Um, and sometimes, you know, the sport club may or may not even offer, you know, a given sport all year round. You might not be able to play lacrosse other than in the season where the sport club offers lacrosse. Um, so again, it comes back to that access." access piece mm-hmm.
1: and would you do you have an opinion on that model is it is that is that a good model is that a, i mean because we're you know in in right now i had a, a good conversation, my friend who runs a club about that reality of you know when you join a club and for him in our in this country you join the, the lacrosse team club he does he 's not a coach he is on our wavelength, so he 's not even mandating that people play uh, just one sport. But he's got a lot of parents and players who want to do that. So the player, even at fourth grade, is saying, "No, this is my only sport. I want to." They're already identifying. I want to play high-level college lacrosse or maybe even professional for kids today, um, which certainly is happening in other sports too. So is 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 that model better? Is our model like?
0: Is pros and cons to both? I mean, What's your? I mean, the the research <clears throat> is is crazy, crazy clear. You know, the NFHS National Federation of High School Sports. You know, they they're putting things out there. The NSCA, National Strength and Conditioning Association, they're putting information out there. The American Academy of Pediatrics is putting it all out there. You know, there's articles from, you know, the NBA talking about how the athletes that are coming into the NBA are broken. Mm -hmm. And it all points towards early specialization being the problem. Mm -hmm. That one sport all year round is just not good for kids. Um, You know, overuse, injury, burnout, all all of that stuff. And, you know is 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 problematic um so i think you know the europeans they've got it right with the multi-sport club model and, and are they seeing from a statistic standpoint
1: are they seeing less of that what you just described are they seeing less burnout less injuries uh less mental health challenges that we're now you know the mlb and the nba is citing because these folks are just i mean they've been focused on uh, one sport
0: for almost the entirety of their life I think you know. Again, I don't have. This is anecdotal evidence. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't have scientific proof because I haven't studied the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Yeah. or Any in the we well, should we'll do this in a year, and if I know mass. you well enough, you'll have the uh, I'll, <laughs> you'll I'll have the science sure. data by then. But we'll but, do a follow up. But anecdotally, I think yes. Um, you know that their model is definitely better. Um, you know, I look at uh, you know was it the documentary that was on HBO not too long ago? Um, you know about Norway right? And why they performed so well in the last winter games. Mm-hmm. The concept is as many as possible for as long as possible in the best environment possible, mm-hmm. right? That's that's the big picture concept of what they're doing. Okay? So they get as many kids in the sport as they can. They keep them there as long as they can, right? By accommodating, right? There's pathways for every level of interest in the sport, right? And the best environment possible, meaning they protect the athletes, right? They're not going to go crazy with the training regimens for eight-year-olds right they're going to do something that's appropriate for an eight-year-old and one day on the uh you know on the cross-country course that might mean making snow angels for half an hour Mm -hmm. instead of skiing Mm -hmm. but you know what that's okay right because the kids are learning to enjoy and they're learning to love the sport and there's a lot that goes along with that for the intrinsic motivation part of of participating Mm
1: -hmm. is there is there do you see i mean you could almost boil it down and say to solve the problem in this country, it's as simple as start. If if, if you want the market to solve it, uh, you know, certainly the, the NGBs are doing their part in solving it, I would say, with U.S. lacrosse and with world lacrosse and, and other sports as well. Is is the idea as simple as starting a one-stop shop, club, place, that that kids can come and join and, and play all different
0: sports is that man that is a loaded question bobby yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> is the a... answer that simple <laughs> <laughs> well I, I think the problem is much more complex yeah. um you know first of all you know and this has been well documented right youth sports in the united states is somewhere in the 15 to 17 billion dollar a year industry mm-hmm. and growing right that's a lot of money Right. I mean, that's that's a lot of money Mm -hmm. being, you know, being made off of youth sport. And that's not that it's bad. Right. There's nothing wrong with making money in in, off of sport. Um, But when that starts coming into play. Right. There's a a lot of factors. Right. Whether, you know, when you have people who are their livelihood depends on participation in a sport. Right. I have to make a decision of is my family going to eat and pay the electric? Am I going to be able to pay my electric bill? Or am I going to do, you know, what is culturally right or, you know, maybe not culturally right, but what is, you know, right for the development of, of athletes? Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can be both, right? You can do what's right and make money from sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the money that's being made is by people who are doing it in a part-time capacity. So they don't necessarily have the time to, I'll say, invest in running it like a full-time multi-sport business. They can focus on one thing. They do it. They do it pretty darn well, right? Um, but unfortunately, you know, they just they can't do it the best way possible through a multi-sport club, right? You have the, you know, the elusive or ever ever present myth of the scholarship in, mm-hmm. in lacrosse, right? We know that the money's not there. You know, a fully funded NCAA Division One team gets something like twelve point six scholarships. So if I look at a, a Johns Hopkins University, who's going to carry a forty-two, forty-five man roster, and they've got twelve point six scholarships, you know, you do the math. Everybody's getting twenty-five percent if everybody's getting money, mm-hmm. which you know, you're talking a sixty-thousand-dollar-year tuition, you're getting maybe ten to fifteen thousand off. Right. You know.
1: Well, and you look at how much, and I know this argument has been made before yeah. on, on countless podcasts, but even the argument of. Let's say you do get more than that, which is probably not going to happen, but even if you do, if you factor in the r o i your return on investment from years of spending fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars a year for for your kid to play a particular sport plus travel plus food plus whatever might go into that equipment uh it's it's not a good investment <laughs> like if that's if that's the yeah. goal if the goal is your kid's development, that's one thing, but if the goal is a scholarship, you're better off putting that money into some sort of account.
0: Yeah. I, I, what is it? I think it's a, a 529 plan. Yes. I think is the college yeah, yeah. college savings. We have one for my daughter. I'm pretty sure it's the 529. That's where her, that's where her, uh, travel team fees are currently going. Yeah. know yeah. 529. Um, you know, so, you know, like I said, it's, it's a multifaceted problem and I don't think there's one simple solution. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's just, everybody, you know, needs to I'll say, uh, get into alignment, right? We need we need our operators, right? Our Our sports operators to, you know, have that mindset of athletes first, right? We need, you know, coaches to get into that mindset of athletes first. Mm-hmm. We need, you know, parents of athletes getting into that same mindset of athletes first. And, you know, if we start to put a singular focus on what is best for the athlete, right? At the individual level, then I think, we'll start to see the positive change that we want to see Mm -hmm. in, in sport. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I like it. That's, that's a good answer. That's a fair (laughs) answer. Uh, It was a big question. I appreciate that. I told you it was a loaded question. (laughs) Of course it is. Uh, That is, I, I am, uh, uh, my, my, uh, critique of myself is I ask a lot of loaded and leading questions. Yeah, I, love them. I don't know if that's good or bad. Uh, we'll find out. But um, this next one's a leading question. So um, one thing, you know, this whole theme of this podcast is 50 cups of coffee, connecting with 50 people over a given year, people that you're learning from, that you're challenging, that you agree with, that you disagree, uh, people that maybe they're peers that you just want to talk to, connect with. You and I first connected um, I don't know how much aware you are of this. I had been following you on Facebook specifically for probably the better part of a year. And when I say following, it's not like you it's a have creepy this <laughs> in the bushes. It's not that you have this um, this major presence or or a fan page or whatever. You are active. On social media, Facebook specifically, in terms of adding value, adding your opinion, having conversations, um, and and you you will have Facebook debates, Facebook conversations. And I noticed that early on because I think at some level in the world of social media, people are almost discouraged from doing that because of the rabbit hole that you get into when having a conversation. But one thing I noticed about you is you never got into a conversation that you weren't an expert in, that you couldn't speak to, that you couldn't share your opinion, your idea. And I, I, I appreciated that. And so I wanted to ask you for a while, is that super intentional? Is that just the way that you are? Do you, have you ever, have you put much thought into, you know, your role in, in, in the area of sport development you do have a voice and you exercise it specifically via Facebook quite a bit. And you just mentioned earlier how you had a debate with someone from Belgium uh,
0: via Facebook. 68 comment thread on value of wall ball versus small sided. I
1: (laughs) believe, and you were probably 32 of those comments. (laughs) Uh, And and so what is is your, uh, what's your opinion on on all of that? How has that served
0: you? Um, Have you thought too much about it or is it just kind of the way you are? No. Um, so, you know, it really started when, when I was at U.S. Lacrosse prior to my role here with, with World Lacrosse and creating awareness around, you know, the, the athlete development model, the LADM there. Um, it was, you know, how are we going to get this conversation going? Because, you know, just putting out a post on social media with an infographic or is, is good, right? It's creating awareness, but we create change when we get conversation going. We get people critically thinking about things. So I started to become very intentional about when somebody would post a response, you know, to an infographic or, you know, an article that I had written for for U.S. lacrosse and to, to respond to them, to get the conversation going. Because, you know, what happens, right, especially in the world we live in is so goes, hey, you'll never believe this guy that I'm talking to on Facebook. And this is what he thinks. Oh, my God, I can't believe how wrong he is. Right. And so they share that conversation with a friend. And now you got a second conversation going about this topic, and so they're going to get into into their own debate or agreement or wherever they're going with it while I'm in it. And then they're going to drag like three more friends into it, and next thing you know, you have this you know really good discussion going. Um, so it was it was intentional, mm-hmm. um, and still is very intentional. And I often play the part of the, the contrarian or, you know, I guess it might be the troll. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I will throw a comment out there that I know is going to incite discussion and is going to challenge conventional thinking about a topic. Yeah. Uh, because I want, I want people to talk about it. I want them to think differently. I don't. It, different it's things. not trolling from the
1: fact that yeah. usually you uh, start the conversations. You can't troll yourself, <laughs> but um, but you'll also you'll, you'll engage in other people's posts and, For sure. and challenge. And I think what I enjoy about it that relates so deeply to me with, with this 50 cups of coffee is one thing, you know, we're at your house right now because I value in-person conversation and I value in-person conversation because, uh, a good example is how we started the podcast in terms of talking about the proposed rules and regulations for, he's trying to open the suitcase. If he does open it, that'd be very impressive. Um, <laughs> TJ's dog is with us, uh, or her, her, okay. she's trying to open the suitcase. Uh, um, But uh, I think, you know, I've been wanting to have that conversation with you for a while about talk to me about the proposed rules for the game because it's one thing to read them and then talk to an echo chamber talk to a group of people that agree with me, talk to people that are going to reinforce, yeah, this is crap. Why are they changing the game? All this kind of stuff. It's another, and that's what social media can become, an echo chamber. I post something and only the people that agree with me are going to comment. And if they disagree, they're the troll. So that's why I've come to love in person conversation. I think you have done a really good job of having good conversation on social media, it's usually revolving around sport development. So chances are pretty good. It's not going to get nasty or stupid or dirty. You're not, you're not diving into politics, which people get really personal about. Uh, So I think that is relevant. And, but it's also when you come at it with statistics, with information, uh, it's not just your opinion. You're sharing real stuff. So with that, how much time, like, how much time does that consume of your day when you are having a conversation? Is this stuff that you are just an expert in so that the stuff comes off top of your head or is it, are you looking at a lot of these conversations and are you doing research? Are you making
0: sure you got the right information before you engage in it? Um, I feel a little bit like Liam Neeson, right? I've over the, over my career, I've acquired a certain set of skills. <laughs> and uh, I will find you and I will convert you yeah. to athlete development yeah. models. No. Um, now, um you know, I would not by any means say I'm an expert in this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, there are people who I'll are say it. who are doing the yeah. real work in yes. research on skill acquisition, yeah. and they they're putting athletes through tests and determining what is better and which is best and more effective, least effective. Right? They're the experts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm more. I would say a practitioner. Mm-hmm. I take a look at what their work says. And, and I think critically about it and, you know, I experiment, you know, when I coach my, my daughter's 10 and under lacrosse team, um, you know, I experiment, you know, we went zero technical skill development all last season, everything we did was small area games. And when I say small area games, it's not like, you know, we're playing, you know, four on four trying to score. It might be a game of keep away to work on our catching and throwing. Mm -hmm. Right. So things like that. And I experiment with it. And then I formulate an opinion based on the research that I've read, um, you know, so I'd say I'm I'm more of the practitioner, or, the, or some people would call it a pracademic, right? I I read the really nerdy stuff, and then I figure out how to apply it and make sense of it. Um, and that's really kind of what I've made my my career in doing that is seeing what's out there, what the the really smart researchers say, and figuring out what's the practical context to this, and how can we share this and get it out there to others.
1: Mm-hmm. What, what what advice would you have for? Uh anyone in a similar position where I I do think, um, you know, going back to the theme of, of this whole podcast is just how much we can learn from connection and from chatting with people and, uh, has, have the conversations you've had on, uh, Facebook evolved into, you know, for example, these folks in Belgium, uh, what is your relationship with those individuals that you're debating? Are they individuals that you've met that you've connected with who know who you are, and is this just another forum to connect, or has the relationship evolved because of that? Because a 68 comment thread is much more significant than <laughs> someone just liking your your yeah.
0: comment. No, it it's interesting. It, it definitely has has evolved. Um, you know, towards and I would say towards the positive. Like, you know, one of the gentlemen that I was talking to, we agreed to disagree. And that's OK. Right. Yeah. Totally fine. Another of the gentlemen who was involved in the conversation, you know, he and I ended up talking for about 90 minutes on the phone on Sunday um, because he's a lecturer in skill acquisition at uh, Leeds University in London. Did he reach out to make that phone call happen? He reached out to me, sent me a private message, said, hey, I see where you're at by the way, this is what I do professionally, would love to talk with you online. Um, He also is a, is a coach Mm -hmm. um, of, of, of a team. So, you know, and he's kind of like, this is what I've been trying to do for years and everybody's fighting me. So I see where you're at. I want to pick your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's the academic and, but he's like, he recognizes that I'm more of the practical side of it. So putting our minds together, right. Is, is helping him help his team. Yeah.
1: how much of that another story I have uh of yours is um so when you and I first met it was I same kind of thing we had I don't even remember what the conversation was I think it was on the strength page that we're a part of and then I said I'd love to just grab coffee that was literally the email would love to grab coffee we I went up to your office at the time and um I then someone asked me how I knew you like two days after that. And I was like, that's it. Like we connected (laughs) on Facebook and I went up and we chatted in person and, uh, I, this individual said, "They're like same thing happened to me." And they go, "I messaged him, saw a post, conversation, saw he was only twenty minutes away, so messaged him, said we should get together." And TJ that day drove down to my gym, and 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 we connect. It was Rob, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, smarter team training, smart right? Smart yeah. Team training, yeah, and um and and so that is you know obviously uh, a trademark of how you operate, and so how much of that has led to you're in a, you're in a world where you know, one of my favorite phrases is we are drowning in information, but starving for understanding, thirsty for understanding. <laughs> and, and so you are in a world of, as a pro-academic, you're taking the information that these folks are studying and researching, and you are seeking to gather understanding from people. So how much of taking the conversation off of Facebook onto a phone call or into an in-person conversation
0: serves you in doing that? Um, 100% of it. I mean, you know, it's, I think that's the only way we can do it right if if it only ever lives on the on the interwebs and on the pages of facebook buried 68 comments deep are we really going to create change Mm -hmm. right where we're going to create change is if i can meet with you and we can have this conversation and you seek understanding i seek your understanding and we have a really good discussion about it off of off of the off of the, the internet right and now you go back and you do just one of the things with your team. You just try something with your team and you see the results and it and it's working positively for it. Right. You're now one I've I'm a one to one effectiveness, but you're now a one to twenty-five or a one to thirty effectiveness, which is now creating a whole new generation of players, right, who are gonna remember that Coach Bobby did this with us. And, you know, maybe ten of those kids go coach one day, right? And it's it's the classic pyramid scheme. You know, it's multi-level marketing at its best. Um, That's true. Right? That's great. But that's really what happens because we coach the way we were coached. Yeah. So if I can impact one coach who impacts 25 athletes a year, and that coach has a 15-year career in coaching, and now those kids who played for him or her, they go out and coach, right? We're going to create real change from that. Um, But I don't think, you know, social media is a, a pretty cool tool, but we were never given an instruction manual for it uh, it was just like Mark Zuckerberg goes, Hey guys, here, here's this really cool thing where you can right. talk to each other and post funny gifts of cats. Um, you know, so we're kind of trying to figure it out as we go and how we best can use it. And, you know, for me, I've found that to just be effective. It's, it's a great way to meet people. It's a great way to get a conversation started, but to affect change, we have to become more personal.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, I think that's, that's why I asked it because I think number one, um, I've probably, uh, looked into how you comment on social media more than most Um, because I think there's you and another individual who I follow who um, you stay in your lane, you comment on stuff that you know about, that you're, that you're intelligent about that you can speak to. And it's, it's never, it never gets, nasty. It never gets personal. It never gets, you know, that kind of stuff. And and it is meant to facilitate conversation. And you've got at least three examples, myself, Belgium, and Rob. Uh, so I'm sure you have countless more of how those conversations have evolved into a one-on-one, either phone conversation or in person, if you can make it happen. And so that is really the that is the goal I would say of engaging in social media, of building that network of, of making those connections happen uh, more than just, just kind of posting and, and letting it be. So you're right. There's, there's, there's no instruction manual. There's no way it can go. I'm actually excited. And I think Instagram they said is going to get rid of likes and maybe Facebook will follow. And, um, kind of the exciting piece about that is it frees people up to just post. If you want to post something about you, what you're learning, this conversation of wall ball versus, uh, uh, you know, just, just kind of free play uh, as far as development goes, maybe that's not going to garner a lot of likes. It sounds like it would since your comments, but off the top of your head, you might not think it would, right. but it frees you up just to say, I'm here to have a conversation. I don't know where this conversation's going to go. I don't know if it's going to be interesting, but this is the conversation I need to have
0: right now. So let's let's just have it. Yeah. and that's it's really interesting because you know there's a ton of psychology research being done right now about the whole likes thing and, you know, it it's like taking a a hit of some illicit drug, right? And it can get to that point where yeah. you're starving for likes mm-hmm. and what that's doing to the psyche of of, you know, teens and young girls and, you know, all of these things. So You know, I don't pretend to be an expert in any of that, but I I find it really interesting that that they're doing away with that. Um, That being said, you know, I sometimes do use a like just for the sake of like letting people know, hey, I'm watching. Yeah, right. That's yeah. I'm paying paying attention to this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: I I did that just this morning. I'm scrolling by something. I don't have the time to comment on it, and I was just going to keep scrolling. I was like, you know. Well, like it. Let him, let them know I'm here. Yeah. Let them
0: know I'm aware of what's going on here uh and a part of that. Yeah, know so. like one of our so we just added uh recently Barbados came on board and joined World Lacrosse. Very and cool. uh you know, there was an announcement out and um you know the the guy who's the, kind of the driving force behind it. I don't know him personally or anything like that. You know, I I was not involved. It was kind of in progress before I started here at World Lacrosse. Um but, you know, he made a he made a comment about, hey, we're happy to be a part of World Lacrosse, blah, blah, blah. And I just dropped a like. And mm-hmm. like 10 minutes later, I got, you know, a friend request from him. And he was like, hey, you know, send a little note with it. Hey, saw that you liked my comment. You know, we'd love to catch up. Pleasure to meet you. You know, and I followed up with, you know, hey, let's talk. I want to see how how we can help. Right? right. You're you're the new kid on the block. You're you're just getting this thing started. What do you need from us? How can we help you? Right. Right. So I'm watching, paying attention. Yeah. You know, and but that was the introduction instead of like just the creepy like I'm going to friend request somebody that I've never met before, you know, because chances are he may or may not know me. I don't pretend to have like a list celebrity status. Right. But, you know, I I mean, I I do what I do and I work for World Lacrosse. So, you know, he may probably knows who I am. And, you know, sure enough. Right. I drop a little like
1: he follows up. Yeah. It's right in line with what we teach when it comes to connection. You know, one of the main things people always ask me, uh, two questions I get asked is number one, how do you connect to these people? Reach out. What do you say? Do you get a lot of no's? And it's, I actually don't get a lot of no's because I think when I'm reaching out, even if it's someone I don't know, I will explain how we know each other or, or what the connection is, what I'm hoping to learn from them. So it's not just a blanket I'm looking to connect so for you it's the same kind of thing it's saying I've, I've I see your I see your announcement here I'm appreciating and celebrating you for it and I'm here to help I'm here to serve if there's any way we can do that uh, making
0: the connection so that they don't have to assume what what is the purpose of this you just said something there Bobby that kind of got me thinking like that that has been very much my approach professionally in sport development as I'm meeting the leadership of, you know, the different countries, or you know, when I was with U.S. Lacrosse and, and you know the different clubs and programs that I worked with there, was very much how can I help you, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I and I think that's something that is maybe undervalued or or not emphasized enough nowadays is that idea of you know of of the servant leader, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah, I'm the guy that's you know running sport development for World Lacrosse. But I can't do anything without all of those other people, and so you know I really need to. What do you need? You know, so much like my athlete's first kind of philosophy, it's well, what do my NGBs need, mm-hmm. right? I could come up, come up to you know insert country name and say, hey, look at all this great stuff I have for you. There, it may work, it may not work. But if I take the opposite approach and say, how can I help you, and then deliver on that, right? That empowers them to get what they need to be able to, to grow and prosper and, and develop the game further. And it also, you know, in some ways, creates more of a leadership role for me because I, I start to be the, that's the guy I can count on that's going to help us. Right. Um, and he's here for us, not for himself.
1: Well, in many ways, it's, it's, a, it's a, an approach to sales that I really appreciate. Not, sales has become this dirty word, but it's an approach to sales when you say, uh, when someone says, what do you do? And you say, well, what are you looking for? and and let's say let's say that what they what they're looking for you don't offer uh, it becomes a dirty word when you come up with some fake answer <laughs> instead of saying, like, I don't do that. That's not my expertise. Uh, I talked to the mental skills coach who said that when people are looking for real clinical sports psychology, she's very quick to say, I'm not a sports psychologist. Our marketing, we did a marketing campaign last year at the top of the flyer we sent out to coaches that said, we are not sports psychologists and we're not Navy SEALs <laughs> because that is the number one uh, number one thing people ask us when yeah. they say, oh, you do you know immersive team training training and leadership development. Are you one of these two things? And so we're very quick to say, absolutely not. We're not going to try to pretend to be. But I'll ask people. I've recommended people elsewhere when I say, how can I help you? And they share what they need. And I'll say, great, that's not our expertise. Go find somebody else. And at the same time, if I say, how can I help you? And and let you say that to, to somebody in Belgium and they say, We are looking to, we are at the point of, to use an example from earlier, we're at the point of, we have enough players playing. Now we want to develop them at a further level. Now you can answer their question instead of coming in and saying, you need to work with world lacrosse because we're going to help you build more players playing. And immediately they're going to say, well, we don't need that. So get out of here. We're not interested (laughs) in this relationship. You're meeting them where they're at, able to serve. It opens a door much better it's not it's not fake it's real you're reaching out saying how can i and and that's big a number of people that i've connected with that i would i would look at and say well maybe they're they're a higher level than i am and why would they want to meet with me you do come from a place of well how can i what can i do to serve you uh, a number of people that i reach out tend to be authors of books guess what they want to sell books and so if i can introduce their book to the teams we're working with that's of interest to them so it's not a, it's an i if i support their book why not? it's a great thing to do. Yeah.
0: It's a great way to lead. Yeah, and, and you, you mentioned, you know, staying in your lane. Um, yeah. you know, we, and, and even in this conversation I've stayed in my lane, right? You know, you, we started going down a path towards the the 6v6 yeah. you know, discipline rules. I am not the rules guy. We yeah. have a we have a committee, we have a technical director, right? We have a Blue Skies working group. They're they're the rules people, you know. I, I can un- talk big picture why it makes sense and how it's going to help the game. Yeah. But the intricacies of, you know, the exact measurements of the field and, you know, that's what we have experts in that area for. Right. Um, you know, we want to talk player development. Sure, I'm your guy, right? I can talk yeah. about the social emotional development of eight-year-olds all day long. Yeah. Um, or, you know, anywhere in between. Um, so, but I think that also helps, right, is when you're authentic and you stay in your lane instead of, you know, just giving somebody an answer to to appear to be the expert.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah, the best answer sometimes is I don't know, or that's not my expertise. Um, last question I have, because this is this has been awesome, uh, is uh when you look at the next kind of do you have a big hairy audacious goal for for your current role, for the development of lacrosse, for for you know, sport? I know long term athlete development is still a passion of yours and it definitely plays into how athletes are learning to grow. So learning sports. So maybe it is beyond lacrosse too. It's how, how, how our sport might inspire other sports. Um, do you have a, a, a big, cause I know even this, this position kind of is still relatively new for you. So yeah. have you,
0: do you have a dream of where this all goes? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, number one, we, we talked about the, um, you know, the, the possibility and, and the desire for Olympic inclusion, Um, you know, in the not too distant future here. Um, And so, you know, as part of that, you know, one of my professional goals is 100 countries playing lacrosse by 2022. Um, You know, I I joke with, with our CEO, my boss, you know, when when I was hired, I was like, man, you didn't tell me that hundred <laughs> countries. I mean, How many were there? When, Cause you're at 68. Uh, we now. were at 62 when I was hired, I okay. believe. Okay. Um, and we're at 65 as of this week. Okay. So, you know, we've brought on quite a few, you know, brought on three or four countries here since I started. Um, I said, man, you didn't tell me a hundred countries in the next three years. Yeah. <laughs> like that wasn't, that wasn't in the job description. Yeah, intentionally <laughs> left um, out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, you know, but I, you, but thinking about it like that, right, it's not just about the number. It's about doing it the right way. Um, and and so that's where, you know, my passion for long-term athlete development, coach development is really coming into play is, you know, yeah, we're going to help get lacrosse established in this country, right? And again, I say help because it's going to take people locally doing it, and we're going to support them, and we're going to help get that going. And then we're going to follow that up with, you know, tools, programs, resources – that put the athlete first, right? So that when it does get kicked off in whatever country, right, from the very first training session that a lacrosse player in that country goes to, it's about doing what's right for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and I think my ultimate vision, and, you know, I don't know if I'll still be, you know, working or I'll be retired at this point, um, is, you know, that day when we look at a, you know, a world championship event, You know, and whether that be the Olympics or, you know, a World Cup or somewhere in between. But when we look at an international world championship caliber event and we can look at a roster that is, you know, homegrown players and homegrown coaching staffs that have that have made it to that level. um, You know, I think I would feel like, man, you know what, my my work here has has achieved something pretty special. Yeah. Um, And that's again, not to slight the North Americans and and the countries that are using North Americans to help. Um, It's just, you know, one day that's where, you know, we want to be as a, you know, a a team entirely comprised of, of natives of that land. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. It's not a slight. It's uh, it's the reality of that's, that's all right. It's a, TJ's very concerned that his dog is destroying my equipment. It's an old suitcase. That yes. I, that so- I,
0: sorry, Bobby, I might have to buy you a suitcase. It's already destroyed. Don't worry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sincerely. Um, but uh, uh, I think, um, you know, I, when I first came across long-term athlete development, I uh, it kind of blew me away that to me, it seemed so good, so right. And and yet it's still not the norm, anecdotally, for for coaching at any level in any sport. And a lot of it is um, just, like you said, you grow up one way. And when I first started coaching this middle school team, I said this to you one time, when I decided I want to coach using long-term athlete development principles, I realized I have to look up everything I'm going to do. It'd be a way easier to just say, hey, when I grew up, we did a warm up like this. We did a, a structured practice this way. I could plan a practice right now based on what I know from how I was taught. And so I got to do two things in order to implement LTAD. I have to, number one, acknowledge that the coaches that I love. And and taught me and made me who I am were wrong at some level. It doesn't mean they were bad. They were they were, they were just different. They were I mean, different. You're being says very kind, and I'm different. being I'm I'll be direct. <laughs> like at some level, they didn't. Have, I'm not saying they were. bad. They didn't have the same information. Uh, they didn't have access to the internet at that time. Like all this kind of stuff of 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 they were kind of building it blindly. So acknowledging that the way I was taught maybe wasn't the way I should teach, and then also I have to make sure. I'm I'm looking up, researching, and 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 using practices that matter. So it goes back to this kind of there's you know we're we're drowning information and and we're starving for knowledge or starving for implementation and understanding and and I think you. Well, I was excited to do this interview. You are certainly an individual who for years and still is a part of the understanding side of things. You're taking the research out there and you're saying, how do we get understanding? How do we get people to ask questions? You want the conversation of wall-ball versus small-sided because that's what leads to understanding. When you get into a debate with someone and you walk away and, and somebody walks away thinking about something differently, you remember that forever. Because there's there's some emotion attached to it so I think it's the right way to continue to do it and uh, I think uh, when when we all heard we I'm just including the lacrosse community that you've taken on a new role I think there was a little sense of well I hope he's still doing sport development because <laughs> it is you are definitely an asset to, to to the community in that way and I just want to thank you for that and everything you do for oh, for sure for,
0: for the athletes I, I the appreciate athletes. that and you know again one of my you know I'll say top lines in the interview process for this new role was you've got to do what's right for coaches, athletes, and officials if you want your sport to grow. Mm-hmm. And and that's a core value that I hold very dear in terms of sport development yeah. is if you're not doing what's right for coaches, athletes, and officials, your sport will fail.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you know, the, the things that we're doing now is, yeah, I'm you know, obviously going out and trying to get more countries to play, but we're also trying to make sure that coaches, athletes, and officials are very well taken care of in that process.
1: Yeah. And I I think we touched on uh, athletes in this conversation and uh, it'll have to be part two and part three to make sure (laughs) we're, we're taking care of coaches and officials. Uh, But I want to honor your time and everybody's time listening, but definitely I think uh, uh, coaches is kind of a next level of how do we make sure, certainly we talked a little bit here about training coaches, but how do we make sure coaches are then uh, implementing a lot of this stuff and officials are taken care of because- parents coaches yelling at officials from the sideline telling them what to do is certainly not going to help anything either not going to help you we're grow grow the number of officials either here or anywhere in the world when that's
0: the case absolutely no that's that's part of that loaded question yeah (laughs) from from way back when about simple solutions yep yeah absolutely awesome anything else you want to add before we sign off no this has been great bobby and I, i just really appreciate the opportunity and the forum to to talk a little bit about you know what we do why we do it and you know how we're going to hopefully make a difference here in the future for for the growth of this game across the globe.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I know lacrosse fans are certainly going to enjoy this and I think non-lacrosse fans will just will enjoy it it's a fascinating for me it's a fascinating sport to follow when you have a sport that as I said parts of this country and this world still have never heard of and yet we have a final four on the men's side that attracts over 40,000, 50,000 people. We have two professional leagues on the men's, three professional leagues on the men's side, a professional league on the women's side. We have world games, men's and women's that attracts people. So it's a unique sport that has popularity and is is making its case for growth. So whether you're a lacrosse fan or not, I think it's fun to watch. And we we also care about the development of the athlete in our sport community, which I'm not, I don't know enough about other sports to, to say they don't. And it does seem that the lacrosse community is uniquely interested in, in making sure the athlete is taken care of. So
0: yeah, for sure. And, and I would say you know other other sports are are right there. You know yeah. the the USOPC. What is there fifty four, fifty seven national governing bodies that fall within them. And I'd say you know at least twenty five. Close to 30 are currently working on their athlete development models. And again, coming back to that athletes first mentality. So Awesome. We're getting there. Thank you, GJ. All right. Thanks, Bobby.
1: Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. If you haven't already, please head on over to YouTube and check out my TEDx talk, the 50 cups of coffee challenge. Additionally, if you haven't already, please leave us a rating and leave a review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. That stuff helps us way more than I can ever explain to you. So please, if you are so inclined, leave us a rating and a review and subscribe. If you'd like to connect with me, if you have questions about the guests, if you have uh, suggestions for future guests, if you, if, you, if you have thoughts about how I could serve your team or your organization, please connect with me on social at Bobby Audley. This podcast is a production of the Pino Training Group and the theme music is by Matisse Soy. To learn more about the work we do, head on over to PinoTrainingGroup.com.